that even a closed business in a facility like this has enormous outgoings. You know, you're in contracts with your power companies, but you know, the outgoings of this business uh, are still, you know, up around 60 grand for this month when you're closed. So, you know, like it's, so to sustain this um, into an unknown distance, it's a little bit hard to determine what the outcome will be for Bray, you know. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. With travel restrictions in place, regional restaurants took the biggest hit of their lives. For most, takeaway just wasn't an option. With some suggesting that travelling abroad could be one or two years away, will this create a unique opportunity for regional restaurants to experience a boom in trade? Dan Hunter is one of the world's most celebrated chefs. His restaurant, Bray, in regional Victoria, rang the bell at number 44 in the world's best restaurant list. Dan's with us now. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How are you going? I'm, I'm not too bad today. Um, I wondered, we're going to talk about a lot of things, and uh, I know particularly producers, which you're very passionate about and the impact on them, but I wondered if we could just start by giving us your experience of how everything happened and when things started to change for you? Well, look, I think things were changing sort of long before the the sort of March 23rd forced closure date, um, or 22nd, was it? 22nd, 23rd? Um, you know, the, the, the few weeks leading up to that were, were very difficult. Um, obviously, swag of cancellations, um, which for us as for most restaurants, um, is difficult. Uh, it meant for us having to revisit our cancellation policy quite closely as well, not just to appear to be, you know, making good with a, with a bad situation. So, you know, being a regional restaurant with a, I guess with a, uh, a pretty tight dining room, a smallish dining room and, and, and high demand, which we're lucky or we're lucky to have in that time. Um, means that you know late cancellations have a real real impact on what we do and so we have a fairly strict cancellation policy and so you know sort of charging people a full price for that in that period when when i guess most people were feeling quite anxious uh and it was quite difficult we had to revisit that so that was sort of all just sort of you know lost income in that time and then of course um uh you know i I really feel as though that that last seven days was what most people may remember as some of the most difficult times, particularly those who were owning businesses and, and leading teams. Some of the most difficult times I can recall uh, in my working career, to be honest. Um, you know, goalposts changing every two days. We sort of went from that, that period of you're open with, with high anxiety in, in society and, and within our teams as well. And then, of course, okay, you can be open, but you must reduce numbers, then you must reduce numbers again immediately. So that, you know, when you've got a full restaurant booked and you're told that tomorrow you can't have that full restaurant, you've got to then contact your guests and go through the the, the disappointment that some may show towards you in that regard when you're just trying to do the right thing. And then, of course, the, the final, you know, the final, the final moment of, okay, uh, by midday tomorrow there's no more, no more trading as a, as a restaurant or cafe. Um, and look, I've got to say from a personal point of view that that decision made by the federal government at that moment gave 
myself and Jules, my wife, who we run, who I run the business with, a, a sense of relief, to be honest, a, a sense of um, not being the ones to have to make uh, what was, you know, considered a, I guess, a health decision for the whole benefit of your team and all your guests. Um, so that moment then was a moment of, of a little bit of stress release, but obviously soon, very soon after that, you know, within that 24 hours, it's a huge impact of, well, what the fuck do we do now type situation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a blur now that period, but I think, I think within all of this, while we sort of try to navigate what the future may hold, and particularly one that we don't understand, I don't think anyone understands at this point, um, that week will certainly be deep in my scarring, you know what I mean? Like I do recall, you know, working on the Saturday service and cooking a section and thinking, I just cannot maintain this level of expectation and these standards under this much anxiety as to are we doing the right thing and are we safe, you know. So um, highly stressful period but certainly, um, yeah, I mean that's obviously past now and we'll just see what happens in the future. Do you think the industry has changed forever? I think it's very difficult to make assumptions on everyone's behalf in this period. I think it's very difficult also to assume um, the change that lies before us because, you know, just reflecting on that period we just discussed, I mean, in that period, in a, in a space of seven days, an external force to our industry, I mean, obviously our government regulates our society, but the federal government, state governments in that period pretty much took full charge of any direction, income, all of those things in one foul swoop. So to make a suggestion today that the future is going to be X rather than Y, I just can't, I don't have the confidence at this moment to make a decision or make a comment on that. I do know that individuals have probably changed and I do know there's going to be deep sort of financial scarring within our industry. Um, and obviously we've seen that already and we're feeling that as well. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I've realised in this period is I'm probably not the most adaptable person that lives on the planet. I, I'm more slow burn and thought out and considered in that sense. And Bray, as people experience it today, is the result of many, many, many years of consideration and I guess a fair few practice runs. And of course we tweak it and refine it and I hope it will always evolve. But to spin around in 24 hours and just, you know, pull a rabbit out of a hat, that's just not my style. So it's been quite difficult in that sense to, to sort of regain balance. Can you give us a picture of um, what the current circumstances are for Bray and uh, what you did to sort of through this period to perhaps save the business or even keep busy? And um, can you tell us what's been happening? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, you know, the the whole lead up to, to the closure period was one of, of hopefully sharing the most up-to-date information with the whole team. And within that information, where it, whether it be you know, space restrictions or numbers restrictions in the space or, or health advice from, from the leading health authorities and, and that type of, you know, information. One of the, the, the key issues that were flagged in that seven days was the potential standing down of, of the team. 
Um, and obviously, you know, when you're going into team briefings before a, a service at our level, to be dropping this type of information and, and telling people that potentially, you know, we, we want to do every single thing possible to keep you safe, but one of those measures may require standing down, you know, of, of everyone's, you know, employment. It's not the greatest motivational tool, I've got to tell you, you know, like, yeah. you know, going to some of those services, I, I, I can't imagine it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't particularly pleasant. But anyway, um, so, you know, on, on, on that day, we um, had, I guess, 32 sort of staff on the books, uh, including ourselves, and, and sort of 15 of those full-time, 15 casual and a couple of part-timers, and they were initially stood down. Um, and... You know, we kept um, in that period, and, and still today, we've we've kept um, our our full time our head gardener and our head chef, so Nina, our head gardener, and Damien, our head chef. We've kept them both uh, working full time, um, and then yeah, I guess as soon as the JobKeeper announcement was was made, we were able to bring. Um, and, of course, we gave the option to the team, to be honest, because some of our staff, you know, uh, single mums, some of those, you know, as an example, getting uh, receiving other health benefits um, or, you know, social benefits and may have chosen to, to remain on those benefits rather than going on to, to the JobKeeper program. But most have decided to come back on the JobKeeper program. Obviously, the in- increased rate um, to them is very beneficial and, we were probably in a fortunate position at that stage that we did have uh, some income in the bank once paying all of our suppliers. We had um, we had some funds so that we could cover the wages for that period. Obviously, that's not applicable to all businesses and I'm sure there's a hell of a lot who would have liked to have been on that program that just cannot be because of that situation. So we were able to do that and, and we've been doing that and obviously we're looking forward to some payments from the government this week, hopefully. Um, but, you know, I mean, that's a... That's sort of a you know ninety thousand or so subsidy that's got to come um, to cover that. So that's you know that's a hundred grand without trading you've got to cover. Um, and so really we just sort of started nutting out what is possible in this facility, you know, because you're right in the intro we don't we don't have the opportunity just to flip into walk up takeaway. We don't have the opportunity really just to jump into delivery. Um, and we don't have a population surrounding us. Uh, although we have a very supportive community in this area, we don't have the, the physical numbers to sustain uh, the income that the business has been built to, you know, to, to, to deal with. You know. So um, we do have a farm and we did have a farm heavily planted out in summer product, um, completely organic and of extreme quality. So... You know, the, the, the logical step at that point was just like, okay, let's just pick the shit out of the garden and just put it in boxes and try and, try and flog it off, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, and that's sort of a quick fix and probably wasn't a, you know, it's probably not a very educated solution and it's probably, it's certainly not a sustainable solution for what we're set up to do. Um, and obviously what we realise is that the types of food that we grow and specialise in for the restaurant are not necessarily the types of food that translate straight away to um, take-home vegetable boxes, you know. And certainly ongoing, you know, we're not a market garden and we do grow things that take often a hell of a long time to 
to germinate and then propagation is difficult and, and then, you know, time in the ground can be, you know, a salsify or something more, you know, specific or, or specialised. You know, you're talking sort of six to eight months in the ground. So that's not a that's not a cash crop, that's for sure. So um, so we sort of set about doing that initially and, and, and funnily enough, we have been able to maintain some level of, um, of sustenance by doing that and we're still harvesting today and and we sort of shift a gear with nina um to then start to plant much quicker sort of you know cash crop type situation vegetables and 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 much closely closer planted and and really utilizing the space a bit more tighter knowing that we're not going to have guests sort of in the space uh it doesn't have to be so aesthetically pleasing um and you know in that funny sense like some quite great successes in that sense of being like you know a green manure crop that was in a couple of beds that was just literally planted as lots of leftover or expired seeds that we had um just mixed with some brassicas so legumes and brassicas essentially so perfect sort of green manure crop anyway um that was going to be put into prior to a garlic crop going in and essentially it's just grown in the most magnificent sort of mixed sort of species cover crop that's now in maturity and we've been harvesting quite a lot from that and it's been quite a lesson actually and then i was discussing this last week it's been a real lesson in um growing food in the sense that you know we you sort of have this idea of these like structured rows and the spacings and harvesting and all that type of thing and occasionally if you get it right if the if the seed mix is right and the the soil's right and the weather's right and you just chuck it all in and and it's got a it's got a purpose of being a you know biofumicant and then it's all of a sudden it's the most delicious mixed food so jules ivy my daughter and myself have been eating out of that little patch quite regularly like daily obviously um and it's been a feature in the in the boxes but you know like the boxes are great and probably one of the things that may differentiate what we've been doing as to some others have been doing a similar concept has been that everything in the box has come off the property, you know, and, and today, I mean, yeah, today in the, we started selling stuff on the March the 31st and it's, um, you know, there's been, um, I think, 87, yeah, 87 boxes to the value of about $75 um, produced out of that garden patch that's set up for a restaurant. Um, so that's great. I mean, that's six, six and a half grand, but, you know, six and a half grand, if you took six and a half grand in a restaurant service, you'd be, shooting yourself you're doing things wrong you know that's one service so six and a half grand for boxes for a month this doesn't really cover the outgoings and and i guess that's what one of the things that perhaps those who aren't so close to business or business management understand is that even a closed business in a facility like this has enormous outgoings you know you're in con- you're in contracts with your power companies you, you you've got and i mean we have a rent relief situation we're very lucky and we appreciate that but you know the outgoings of this business uh are still you know up around 60 grand a year uh, a month well, this month um when you're closed so you know like it's the, to sustain to, to sustain this um into an unknown distance it's a little bit hard to determine what the outcome will be for bray you know with uh, social distancing and perhaps the industry being allowed to slowly uh, reopen and with some restrictions. Um, 
do you think you you'll reopen or do you think your best bet is to open with a full restaurant when you when there's no more restrictions i believe we need to see i mean again it's you know huck it's really it's really difficult to comment with you know clarity on really important decisions you know and i guess for me it's about consuming information in the most detail at the moment and and reacting to it in a way that's best for our business and, and for our family you know so um and that's always been the case and it's sort of it's sort of it's an unusual thing to say because i know one of the things i think's been difficult maybe for our team to to deal with in this period um has been the amount of information required to consume and the ever-changing landscape that's occurring and and you know i think if you work at bray um one thing that you get is very clear information and we don't really change the uh, you know we don't change day to day like you don't walk in one day and you do things one way and you ask me the next time we've changed it like it's very much it's very clear we are who we are we have a we have a, a standard and we have an ethos and we have a, a way of doing things and we sort of do that and if we change it we'll agree on it and then we move forward to me saying okay now we're going to do this and in three days later there's new information that, that Jules has, and myself have digested and come up with a plan and then to then sort of feed that out into our team you know, you sort of wonder if there's not the feeling of, you know, do these guys know what's going on or what's going on, you know? So because we don't know what's going on, I don't think any of us know exactly what the hell's going on and and what decisions that we need to make to sustain our futures long into the future, you know? So I guess for us that's lifting social distancing is fantastic. If we're confident that there's no health risk, I believe that's the way forward. Um, I have every intention to reopen Bray as a restaurant. I have every intention to reopen it uh, at the standard, if not more than has been expected of us since we did open. I don't see that this is the end of our business. I certainly assume that there will be some significant decrease in numbers. I certainly assume there will be some significant decrease in perhaps people's desire to be uh, in a restaurant for long periods and particularly at this level of detail. And when I say detail, that means price point. Um, But we'll just have to wait and see because, you know, we are who we are. Um, As I said before, I'm not the greatest adapter overnight. when we make a decision to say who will be in the future, will be very, very considered based on the information that's available. Obviously, in this time, knowing that there's potential for decrease in in numbers and spend and all of those things, there's no doubt that we need to address uh, the ability to, you know, have other types of revenue coming into the business to sustain who we are. Um, certainly, by offering what we've been doing in terms of take-home meals and, and, and more so the, the bakery and, and, you know, the, the products based on the wheat that we grow and, and the vegetables that we farm and produce, I believe that, and it's funny because it's something that we've always talked about. It's something that we've actually been considering for some significant time and, you know, a sort of, you know, at least 50% away down, away down the track to, to having a type of retail outlet of some description based on 
bakery and, and sort of stuff off the farm. And, and I guess, if anything, this may push that uh, ahead a bit faster and, and hopefully, you know, I've had the discussion with Nina already about, you know, how do we maintain this even when the restaurant is open, given that there may be a reduction in numbers? So, you know, and, and so we're in the we're in a headspace of considering those things. Um, but shit, it'd be good to be just a restaurant, wouldn't it? You know, and then... <laughs> it'd be good to just eat in a restaurant. Well, and I mean, that's the know? thing. I mean, yeah. my, my, my love of restaurants is probably similar to yours. It's about being in them and, and being part of them. And certainly running one is is highly pleasurable for me and you know it's something that we that i really really love doing but sitting at a table with some close friends or family or special you know partners and and eating and drinking and just sharing the you know what everyone else is sharing is certainly high on the list for me too what are some of the positives to come out of this situation for you be tough to find them, I reckon. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. Like, look, I, I must say, without sounding smug or, 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 you know, certainly taking away from the the terrible experience that maybe some others have experienced in this period, that living in a small community, living in a in a situation that is already almost adhering to the social distancing rules that we're all struggling with, um, having that space, having that time to, to sort of slow and, and, and get to bed early and get up early. I'll tell you what, I don't fucking sleep anymore, that's for sure. I bloody wake up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm like, okay, let's go. You know, like it's, I'm having to force myself sometimes to go back to bed because it's like it's just too early to get up, you know, like um, – you know, so having having those moments, I guess, to to be with family, like I must say, being, you know, having this sort of very, I guess, very close time with Jules and Ivy. She's a single child. She's nine years old. She's going through huge anxieties, like probably lots of kids are with this thing going on. Um, that's been really good to to have those moments. To you know, we've just you know, rekindled, rekindled the Sunday lunch and and it's been nice to be fresh and focused on a Sunday morning and want to, wanting to cook and cooking quite extravagant things some Sundays. Um, so that's been really good. But, you know, like it's, it's very hard to still enjoy that. I mean, those feelings you tend to have sometimes when you're on holiday and you're away from your, your normal life, but you know that the normal life is still operating back somewhere else so if you do give yourself time to focus on anything that you'd like to do in that you know what we'd say as a normal environment that normal being what we know to be our society you know you've sort of got this this clear picture in your mind of, as to how these ideas may formulate or may may exist in that that scenario but given that we don't know or understand that it's very difficult to for me to sit down and and to make plans for the future, you know, or to, to sort of, you know, meditate on those ideas of, of what this place could be or or even even work creatively on, okay, so when we return, the food could be like this or the, you know, the, the garden could have this or whatever, you know, all of those things, it's just such a difficult, um, 
Yeah, the outlook's so so unclear that it's very difficult to have those those clear sort of meditative thoughts on on the future. Yesterday, I had a chat with Matt Moran, and he mentioned that he thought regional restaurants may have the best hope of reopening early and successfully um, due to people's desire to get out and about with restrictions eased, given that we won't be travelling overseas for some period. Do you think he's right? What do you think about that? Do you think that there will be an opportunity for regional restaurants? Look, I mean, without this sounding like just blatant advertising for our business, I mean, I think that, you know, Bray is in a really strong position if we can financially, you know, bounce through this or whatever you know and, and again we don't know that we don't know the period of time that we're discussing here we don't know you know what this is this this year is this next week is it next july is it you know what is it because all of those decisions have a huge impact on on the truth of my answer but you know i would say that the concept that we've built here the idea that we had you know 10 plus years ago of what this restaurant would be, a place of space, a place of, you know, relaxation, a place of detail, completely organic, you know, a place of, of what would say are the, even more so right now, uh, the true luxuries of, of the current world, of, of absolutely traceable, clean food, um, you know, cared for with detail, presented with detail, really hands-on service, uh, I think, you know, I really feel as though some of the, the decisions that we made a long time ago and the way we've been living and operating in the period leading up to now are the things that will really uh, hopefully uh, make the experience of being a brace something that people are really looking forward to and happy to, to sort of, you know, jump on board with. So, you know, like, uh, and I mean, Perhaps this is a you know there's lots of there's lots of dialogue around the world at the moment about this being the wake up call that we needed and this being environmentally you know really great and all these types of situations that you know carbon emissions are down people talking about food security all these types of things you know these are these are things that often get just really pushed under the table in the sort of cheap fast moving easy access society that whether we like it or not, has been built for us and many of us participate in. Um, and I would hope that a slower, more considered, uh, you know, food system, a more traceable food system, uh, uh, you know, a, a conversation, an open dialogue, much closer with our restaurants and I guess our producers and suppliers and growers and farmers and, and those of us who have them as our friends, you know, I think all of those things are really important and hopefully um, that some of those things and people who have been, you know, I guess have showed interest in knowing more about these concepts, certainly this is a catalyst to, to perhaps uh, take it on board a bit more wholeheartedly. Now, you did a post on Instagram fairly recently championing local producers and what they've been going through with the bushfires and now this. Um you know, what's some of the stories and some of the conversations you've had with, with the people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis with the restaurant? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think for for growers of food, 
it's not very easy to wake up one morning and your whole customer base has disappeared. Now, as restaurants, obviously, we know that we've had the same thing, but there's another link in that chain, and, and it's the people who who grow food for restaurants, you know, and, and people who have chosen, um, which they have every right to, as a business decision to work very closely um, with restaurants and with chefs and who, who whose whole business is um, – is taken up with, um, you know, providing food for for restaurants. So probably the the least considered in this whole scenario. But you know, for a small family uh, growing situation, uh, you're talking about generally smaller smaller farms, um, often employing a couple of people, but often you know just running it with the family. Um, and growing a limited supply of excellent quality food, which requires, you know, slower growing, longer periods of animals on the property, obviously higher feed costs for that. Often people who have dedicated a very long time to working very um, ecologically sound and, and putting a lot of effort into the environmental, I guess, capacity and, and longevity of their, their, their farms, um, these people have lost their income overnight and they also can't just turn to takeaway the next day so they're often in you know well they're always in regional areas um so not only are they not a a a place that has foot traffic but they also don't have access to to customers who have now you know particularly during a, a lockdown period where no one's meant to be on the roads traveling or anything like that um, so, you know, for, for people that we work closely with, um, one of the things that they've had to deal with is, is that, you know, and, you know, in the space of 24 hours, they've, they've basically had a hundred percent of their business just stop. Their revenues just stopped. Um, now some of those are in the middle of growing cycles. Some perhaps have, you know, had the abattoir booked that morning, all of those types of things. Um, so I know a lot of people, you know, I mean, we look at sort of three specific sort of families that we deal with, and it's, you know, Greg and Jodie Clark at Great Ocean Ducks, Save and Laura Mead, um, Barongaroo Pork, a really great pork producer we've only used for a little while, you know, a couple of years out of the Otways, and um, Bruce and Roz Burton at Milking Yard Farm. Um, now, they're, they're, they're people who deal solely with restaurants, um, and so they've had to really flip what they do and really, you know, look for, for new ways of of maintaining an income. And so for most of those guys, they're now having to seek out retail, um, you know, do online sales. A couple of them have been able to work a bit more closer and give a bit more product to some higher-end butchers in Melbourne. Um, but, you know, often they don't have the means or the, the network to just – just find you know one thing about restaurants is we we have a i must say we have a great network so i must say one of the the very you know heartwarming and and reassuring things during this period for me has been the increased contact um with other people other chefs other people in this industry um who are in the same situation and certainly um 
you know, whether it be a text or a short conversation or, or whatever, um, just to say good day to make sure people are okay. That's been, you know, you really, you really know who your mates are, and you really know who you can rely on um, in that regard. So that's been really good. But for this, for the for the suppliers, the growers, they're, you know, I had some conversations with a couple of people yesterday, and they're certainly remaining strong. They've certainly been very appreciative of the fact that. Um, we've been using their products in our take-home meals. So each week we've been trying to sort of showcase a, a specific supplier that we have a relationship with um, and sort of build a, a meal around that for for the people who purchase those meals to take home. So hopefully doing two things, hopefully to – and, you know, I'm not a – I'm actually – you'd never really read um, the name of a producer on our menu. We prefer to have the conversation at the table with, with our guests about who, who people are and – and now doing these um, sort of take-home meals and, and heated home meals, we've been making sure that we make a real effort to to promote the the producer by name, and and hopefully that leads to some people sort of following up on that information and, and trying to purchase their products online or at a butcher or whatever. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's most of our guys have said we're okay. Uh, we're doing a lot of reevaluation of of how we function, we realise that we do need to work in some retail capacity, which we're trying to find pathways to that. Um, but it's it's a difficult time, there's no doubt. And it's not, you know, it's time-consuming and it's not often to people's, um, you know, to their, to their strong points. I mean, the greatest farmer in the world may not be the greatest you know, user of Instagram. So, yeah, you know, totally. they're not using PR companies and they're not using, you know, and they're not they're not having the conversation. I mean, you know, sometimes it's hard to get a word out of, <laughs> out of, out of a farmer, you know. Like, thankfully, most of ours are pretty chatty, but, you know, like, it, it, you know, it's there's a lot of people who are really going outside their comfort zone um, to stay afloat but also realising that that's what's needed and because it's needed, they're doing that. Just moments ago, you were talking about that connection that you're having with chefs that are going through the same sort of thing. Now, um, Spain, you know, this is a global issue and Spain has had um, a massive impact by the virus and you spent a lot of time in Spain as the chef de cuisine at Muguritz. Um, I just wondered, have you been in yep. contact with anyone there and what's... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had contact um, with Andoni on, from Muguritz for, on several occasions and and, you know, it's pretty... <laughs> I mean, again, talking about highly positive people who are adaptable and and you know, under most situations can can make a move that's probably positive for them and and their teams and families. But look, I think I haven't had anything any conversations in the last couple of weeks. But certainly, you know, you go back you go back three weeks or so at the height of of this pandemic in Spain when. We're talking serious amounts of deaths and and real fear in the community, um, and yeah, I certainly don't recall having many conversations uh, with Andoni at Mugaritz uh, that was so heartfelt and emotional. You know, certainly um, for someone to describe the situation as you know horrific and terrible and and you know it's, it was quite. It was quite intense, actually. Like it's, and I mean, you know, I think 
as much as we are who we are and every country is different, I think, I think you know, we, we do all have to be quite grateful for the fact that the situation that we've experienced so far from a health perspective, which is one, I think, where people in some parts of Europe in particular and probably, you know, the States, New York, you know, where the, the, the level of anxiety is, is that, you know, you or a friend could die. You know, I, I don't think that we probably got to that level, so to speak, in Australia. Although that, although it has occurred, I think on mass, you know, I think there was a real fear, and probably still is to some degree, and, and is, um, that if you get this thing, you're dead. And and I think that when you when you're when you're functioning and trying to make business decisions with that in your mind, and it's not at the back of your mind, it's at the forefront. I think it's quite a terrible space to be in. You know. Now, on a lighter note. That'd be a good idea. <laughs> yes. And, you know, when restaurants are open again and um, yeah. people travel out to Bray, you know, what are you going to be looking forward to most? Well, just the connection. I mean, I just think one thing that we, you know, I think we're all missing is that that human-to-human contact. And, I mean, I think, um, you know, restaurants, there's no doubt about it. There's, there's the ones that you just, there's the food that you eat on the way to somewhere else and there's the food that you consume and the, the, the experiences you have when you want to celebrate. And I always hope that Bray is a, a restaurant of celebration and certainly, you know, part hedonism. And I think, I think, you know, like we're sort of, for a lot of us who enjoy the hedonistic nature of of just day-to-day life and, and the hedonistic nature certainly of being in restaurants and forgetting about time and and look let's be let's be fair over consumption you know like that that just going for it with your friends i really you know one thing that i i most enjoy is is facilitating that you know um and of course being a chef and running a restaurant um and having a number of friends and who are of the same, you know, the same makeup. They they cook, so they work front of house, and they they own or or work or run restaurants. Some of the greatest pleasure in the world for me is to to cook for people who understand what you do and and don't often get the chance to do it and spend their life doing it for others. You know, I think. You know, the, the the most pleasurable thing for me is to cook for other chefs and to cook for other restaurateurs and cook for people who truly appreciate the effort and the nuts and bolts of what makes a great restaurant and, and they they appreciate the the detail and all the backstory and the the you know, the the hours and years spent doing the things that people don't necessarily see. So um, and look I reckon you know, many of us are going to really want to spend some time in restaurants. So I hope that people um, want to do that here, and we can facilitate, you know, that that coming back into society sort of situation. You know, I think for for a restaurant where people tend to spend three to five to bloody six, seven hours some days, um, you know, I think. Hopefully people are really going to want to do that and, and we really look forward to, to guests who really want to do that. Well, as someone who's really missing restaurants, you've just made me miss them even more, I think. Um, 
Dan. You, <laughs> um, you, you're amazing. Thanks so much for giving us your time and please stay in touch and um, hopefully talk again soon. Thanks, Hart. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Stay safe and be well.